Hi, this is Jill Burke, former Disney princess, actor, vocalist, voice teacher, and marathon runner. And you are listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 28 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, we get to hear from Randy Crenshaw, a talented and prolific singer, voice artist, and musician. If you've been to a Disney park, watched Sophia the First or Phineas and Ferb, are a fan of the Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain, yes, I know they're not Disney, just go with it, or any of well over a hundred other projects like these and others, including many albums, you've heard Randy. His career is extensive, varied, and almost entirely offstage, so he just may be one of the most famous people you've never heard of. And I say that with all due respect. Fortunately for us, a lot of his work has been for and with Disney. So in this episode, part one of a three-part interview, we get to hear how he got started working for Disney, singing on pre-recorded in-park shows, and later some various character voice acting. The very first thing he did for Disney. The complexity of oinking. You might be surprised. Details on several of the projects he did for the Disney parks, stateside and around the world, including Haunted Mansion Holiday, Light Magic, Disneyland's Mary Poppins show in honor of the movie's 40th anniversary, a pirate show at Walt Disney World, some interesting behind-the-scenes about singing on projects in Tokyo Disneyland and Disneyland Paris in the respective native languages, fascinating projects outside the parks, including Disney on Ice, Movies like Hook, Enchanted, and Muppet Christmas Carol, CDs like Muppet Beach Party, and TV projects like Sophia the First, and a hint of Phineas and Ferb. The difference between trolls and pirates, really, we actually do talk about that, and showing some love to Laura Dickinson. This episode is going to be a little bit different, because I also have some audio to share with you from a couple of new friends of mine. Aaron and Jason from the Dole Whips and Dark Rides podcast are working on a project that is incredibly important, and I wanted them to tell you about it in their own words. So after the interview, you'll get to hear a fun song Randy Crenshaw sang, and then we'll move straight into what Aaron and Jason have to share. Finally, I'll come back to wrap up this week's show. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and begin this story. My name is Al. And I'm Joyce. And we're, we're huge, huge Disneyland, Disneyland fans. fans. In fact, we love the Disneyland Resort so much, we host a podcast dedicated to the happiest place on earth to share that passion with others. That's right. On our show, Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast, we share current resort news, some tips and tricks we've learned over the years to help make your Disneyland Resort vacation the most magical experience ever. We uncover little-known and often-overlooked gems we like to call hidden treasures and even review the attractions and places to eat that make the Disneyland Resort so much fun. And if that wasn't enough, we even share some video episodes to help keep you in that Disney magic state of mind. 
If you're a longtime fan of the Disneyland Resort, or you've just recently discovered the magic, this podcast is for you. You can find Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland podcast at www.talescast.com and in iTunes. And remember, make, make it, it a, a Mickey, Mickey day. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. I've had the pleasure of interviewing a few musicians, singers and vocalists so far on this podcast, and today I get to bring you another, one I'm very excited to talk to, Randy Crenshaw. For one thing, he has a great first name, very strong, noble even, but with a hint of fun. Beyond having a fabulous name, Randy's biography is extensive and impressive. According to his website, he has been variously described, only partly tongue-in-cheek, as the Swiss Army knife of L.A. session singers, due to his wide range of available vocal sounds and styles, and as a utility infielder in the ballgame of music. He's also been described as a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, but that was from a jealous fellow singer, so who cares? He's a Grammy-nominated freelance session vocalist and vocal arranger with hundreds of major film, television, commercial, and record credits to his name. Since moving to Southern California, he's performed as a featured vocalist with the Roger Wagner Chorale, the Los Angeles Master Chorale, the Pasadena Chamber Orchestra Chorus, the Ojai Music Festival Chorus, the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra Singers, the Dorian Men's Chorus, the Caroling Company, and the Master Singers, as well as recording vocals and playing instruments, including trumpet, tin whistle, and recorder, on hundreds of Hollywood films, television programs, and commercials. There's much more in his bio, and you really should check it out for yourself on his website. I'll link directly to it in the show notes. And of course, this doesn't even touch on his work for Disney, but that's what this interview is for, so let's get to it. Randy, welcome to Stories of the Magic. Thank you, Randy, and and I agree with you. Randy is a wonderful name. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me, how did you get started working with or for Disney uh, and what you do for them? I know you've got quite the long list of credits there. Sure. Well, the the short answer is that I started uh, singing on um, some some pre-record in-park shows for Disneyland, Disney World, Tokyo Disney, and Euro Disney uh, back in the mid-'80s. Uh, a few years after I arrived in Los Angeles, and um, so you know, and then I began doing Disney television specials shortly after that time. Everything from Disney on Ice things to uh, you know the different Disney parades that were televised and things like that. Then I rolled into Walt Disney Records children's projects. I did quite a few of those, and eventually ended up singing in in Disney feature films and. Disney television shows that way. So I've done singing of various types and then um, and voiceover, usually character and animation stuff, ever since. And that's kind of how it happened for me. Wow. Do you remember what your very first job that you did, the very first thing you recorded? Oh, my goodness. Uh, it would probably be uh, one of those uh, pre-record shows. I worked for um, a guy who still works for Disney, and heads up there in park music uh, named Bruce Healy. What was the, the show that I did for him? I, I remember I got brought in with a bunch of other more experienced singers, and they kept urging us to be more cheerful and you know more happy sounding. And I said, I am, I am. But they said, no, it's got to come across and be recorded that way. So I'm trying to remember what the show would have been. Oh, I have to tell you one story. After I began doing that, I remember doing a television commercial for Disneyland. 
and they had a promotion going on back in the uh, in uh, the late 80s, early 90s, called um, the State Fair at Disneyland. You know, for a period of of a number of weeks, they would have kind of a a little state fair like setup at Disneyland. You know, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so they hired us. Uh, a group of eight singers to sing a song based on the Wells Fargo wagon, you know, from from Music Man. Okay. And instead of, oh, well, the Wells Fargo wagon, you know, they, they said, oh, well, the state fair at Disneyland is something special. So <laughs> we were doing our <laughs> specialized version of the state fair at Disneyland uh, song. And then there was a point at which they showed a picture of racing... Uh, Alaska pigs, because they had, you know, pig racing, of course, uh, which, you know, every state fair has to have that. So we had to sing oink, 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 four oinks in a row. We did that. We finished. We thought we'd done a good job. And then we saw lots and lots of very animated uh, discussion going on in the control room. We couldn't hear any of it. We just saw people waving their arms and gesticulating and looking really, really concerned. So after a while, the engineer and producer in the booth said, uh, listen, uh, there's a lot of discussion going on about uh, your delivery on the oink, oink, oinks. Uh, I think maybe uh, you guys should take a break. So we waited while everyone weighed in with their opinion on whether the oinks sounded appropriately pig-like enough. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, and, and then afterwards, we got a lot of advice from not only the... Um, you know, the ad agency music people, but there was a representative from Disney who whose only job was to make sure that, you know, if we were going to do any Disney character stuff, they had to make sure that, you know, it was, it was representing the characters right. And he took his job very seriously, and he said, you know, um, when, what you're singing right now just doesn't read pig. Really? (laughs) So we kind of sat there a little stunned because we're thinking, okay, well, we just sang oink, 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 you know. So we proceeded to be put through our paces where we went in and tried singing the oinks in various different ways, octave oinking, uh, speak singing oinking, uh, and then they would say stuff like, no, it's... It it needs to have an undertone of exhilaration, and yet at the same time, uh, you know, only one pig can win. So there has to be kind of a, a little almost desperation. You know, we were thinking, you know, we had never thought it through quite that hard. So uh, we spent an awful long time on that particular ad jingle. Wow. And have you been critiqued on your oinking since then? I never have. That's probably the most scrutiny that has ever been applied to any animal sound that I've ever made. <laughs> but it was it was funny because, you know, in the final commercial, it only takes two seconds. Oink, 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 oink. And that's all it lasts. But we probably spent 90 minutes agonizing over that and re-singing it and talking about it and re-singing it. So, wow. Yeah, that was. I remember that as one of my very first... Disney-related sessions. I can see why that would stand out. (laughs) It burned an indelible hole in my memory. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Have you always done uh, contract project session work for Disney, or has there been any longer stints? 
You know, it's for me, it's always kind of been session work, you know, both as a singer and a voiceover person. I've never done anything where I've been under contract to Disney, for instance, as a, an in-park character or an employee of Disney other than that. I have friends that have done that and really love it. Um, I've got some singer friends right now who are singing uh, in the Voices of Liberty show that happens, you know, at the Abe Lincoln attraction down at Disneyland right now. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of similar show to one that's run for a long time uh, in Disney World in Orlando. So they're re- they're really enjoying it. Uh, terrific music and so forth. But I've just never had the um, available time to do that. And, and I live quite a ways from Orange County. I, I live way up halfway between Santa Barbara and Los Angeles. So for me, it was a commute that was not meant to happen, I don't think. <laughs> that would be a pretty rough commute, yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me any of the other things that we might recognize or remember that you did, especially let's start with maybe the stateside Disney parks? Oh, yeah, for um, Disney in-park things. We had great fun some years ago. You might recall that there was a really wonderful stop animation uh, movie called uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas that happened in the early 90s. Oh, yes, that sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a Tim Burton film, mm-hmm. and it had Danny Elfman music in it, and it was quite quirky and fun and everything. But one of the things that happened is the Disney folks, after having that uh, movie, that movie had been done a number of years earlier, they decided they would love to have the Haunted Mansion music kind of updated and freshened and use things inspired by that movie approach. Mm-hmm. I think they contacted Danny Elfman, first of all, and at the time he was so busy, he said, no, I don't really have time to write music for that or to adapt my own music for it. So they got some other uh, really talented writers to come in and write not only music for the attraction itself, you know, which had such famous songs as Grim Grinning Ghosts and, you know, great songs like that. But uh, they, they completely redid that. But they also did, as you were standing in line for the attraction, they did their versions of Christmas carols, and they called them scarols or scary carols. Mm-hmm. You know, so they would be a famous uh, carol, except they might be in a minor key, and it would be about pumpkins and ghouly kind of things. So anyway, we did a bunch of that stuff. And it, it turned out to be really popular, so much so that then they checked in with Danny Elfman, and then he wanted to write music for In the Attraction itself. So we went and did, did some more recording and did versions of things that had appeared in the Nightmare Before Christmas movie and put those into the attraction. And then it turned out to be so popular that they ended up having one of these wonderful things. When they opened the new Haunted Mansion attraction, they had a big panel discussion in one of the in-park theaters and had about 5,000 people who are really just raging fans of the of the movie show up. They closed down the park for the night, and these fans had a chance to not only listen to a bunch of us who had worked on the movie thing, but then be the first to go through the new attraction. Oh, wow. And I think it happened, you know, kind of sort of around uh, Halloween or something like that, you know, because... That was the idea. All of this thematic stuff was tied together. So it was fun because for a second, as a little off-camera singer and voiceover person, I was I was a miniature celebrity. Yeah. Because people who had watched this movie dozens of times had memorized everything that I had done. <laughs> <laughs> things I didn't even remember doing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, so those kind of things are always fun when they happen. Also, there was a big, somewhat ill-fated 
a parade that happened in the park. I mean, everybody did wonderful work on it, but just because the technical things were so complicated, uh, you remember the light magic thing that was supposed to happen in the late 90s. I do remember uh, that, where yeah. They, yeah, they had they had had the Main Street Electrical Parade for something like 17 years, and had been entirely popular. And then I think the idea was, well, let's use higher tech kind of lighting and sound stuff. And it was wonderful, except it was so high tech that nobody had worked out and perfected the technology yet. Mm-hmm. So it went through tryout phases and a kind of rollout for the press and the public. And it was, well, less than spectacular. So I think after a while, everybody said, well, let's go back to that wonderful thing we had before. But <laughs> before that happened, we, we did, oh, a lot of singing um, for, you know, for the various floats and attractions that happened in that parade. Wow. It was, it was a fun show. I remember the summer that it was out. Oh, yeah. And... Yeah, it did receive uh, some rather unflattering nicknames, <laughs> primarily among the pass holders. Yeah, I think <laughs> exactly anybody who is, you know, a real aficionado of the long-term things, like you know, like the Main Street Electrical Parade, which you know, when you think about it, it has that it had such infectiously great music. And it was really low tech. It was just a bunch of flashing light bulbs, you know, mm-hmm. and it was really easy to do. Whereas light magic was so advanced, and it was it was you know one of these things that I think Michael Eisner you know himself was kind of spearheading it, going boy this is really going to be state of the art, and they spent a lot of money and time on it, and so through no fault really of anybody's except the technology wasn't there, it just didn't quite catch on the way they were hoping. Yeah. I think part of the problem might have been, and this is complete speculation on my part, but you know, they rolled it out for annual pass holders first. Yes. And as a group, pass holders, and I am an annual pass holder, ah, so okay. and to a certain extent I have to include myself in sure, this, sure. but I didn't see it during pass holder previews. Uh-huh. But we tend to be very um, critical. Yeah, yeah. We, we want to see the product at its best. Sure. And... When they rolled it out, it was still technically, I think, really in technical rehearsals. So we saw a dress rehearsal, decided it didn't look as spectacular as a finished product that had been running for 20-plus years, mm-hmm. and you know, tore it apart. Yeah. You know. <clears throat> totally understandable, yeah, because, well, another thing about people that are such loyal pass holders is they grow to love the things that, that they see. And, you know, unless something is really going to be topping that, you know, if it ain't broke, why fix it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I I get that. So, (laughs) and I think the true test was, you know, the the various uh, components of the Main Street Electrical Parade had been sent around for storage all around the U.S. at different sites. And then the Disney uh, folks had to kind of go and frantically collect them at some point and and put it back together. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, that's some of the stuff that you did at Disneyland. Actually, are there any other projects or anything you want to mention that maybe you've done at, for, in sure. Disneyland? Sure. I, I mean, I've done things like, um, oh, goodness, uh, you know, when they had the 40th anniversary of Mary Poppins, they did a, you know, a Mary Poppins kind of tribute show and rolled out special parades for that. And I, I remembered it was fun because I got to redo the famous Dick Van Dyke singing on it, you know, just because... Dick himself is wonderful, and he's still around as a performer, but he doesn't sound like he did 40 years ago, you know? Right. Who does? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So Disney Character Voices contacted me to do my best Dick Van Dyke uh, impression. And that, by the way, was really funny because 
you know, I tried to do a really authentic Cockney accent, and of course they said immediately, uh, we don't want a really authentic Cockney, we want a Dick Van Dyke Cockney accent. And of course, that was the, the joke at the time was that the Dick, wonderful triple threat actor, singer, dancer, but, uh, you know, no one had really coached him on doing Cockney, and he laughs about it to this day because in England, when somebody does kind of a, a less than accurate Cockney accent, they call it doing a Dick Van Dyke to this day. <laughs> <laughs> so my job was to do something that was perhaps not as accurate as the real Cockney accent. <laughs> and they also wanted me to sound like I'd had a couple of martinis at lunch because <laughs> that was, I guess, the operating method <laughs> when the original movie was filmed. <laughs> and, and I'm, you know, I'm not a drinker, so that was really quite challenging. Oh, I bet. Um, so shows like that, I currently have stuff that's still in the park, amazingly, like, you know, your Disneyland birthday. They still have a little attraction where, you know, kids go in and they sing a little song about it being your Disneyland birthday. And, you know, they make special presentations and they're princes or, you know, princesses or princes. So it's fun that those still last, you know, because they're not the big flashy shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've done some of those things and and then some things that are big splashy shows. Whenever they've rolled out a big uh, animated musical, typically we'll do spin-off shows uh supporting that and kind of talking about that and and those will come and go in in the, in the uh, various parks. So Okay. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> How about uh, Walt Disney World specific things? Oh, yeah. I did a lot of uh, shows for uh, Disney World as well. In fact, um, oh, my goodness. The one thing in particular that was, it was kind of funny, but uh, when my children were pretty young, we visited Disney World. And I remember standing in front of one of the attractions and listening to a show. And it was, I think it was Pirates or something like that, some pirate-based show. And you know, I had sung all over that show, and I had sung several different voice parts, you know, several different character things. So I remember I was talking to the girls saying, oh, listen to this. This is this is Daddy singing kind of a Captain Hook thing, and this is Daddy doing, see that the high-voice guy now? That's me, too. And a lady overheard me talking to my kids, and she turned to me very indignantly. You know, we've never met, of course. We don't know one another, and she says, Shame on you for lying to your children. <laughs> now, she, of course, doesn't know that I really am somebody who's sung on all these shows. All she knows is that I'm telling them, oh, that daddy is the pirate voice. Now, daddy is the this. <laughs> My kids knew enough to be a little bit indignant and go, it is too, our daddy. <laughs> so I just remember laughing about that going, Okay, I don't think I can really explain this to her in a way that she's going to understand. Right. <laughs> so we just kind of dropped it and, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, what else have you got from out there that oh, my has a particular memory? Well, you know, there have been a lot of shows. In some cases, we do shows that end up having a life where they hop from you know, one park to the other. In some cases, they're very proprietary about, you know, which songs go in what park. Uh, and uh, there's almost a competitive feeling like, hey, if Disney World has a show, then Disneyland has to have a different version of it, you know. 
they want to make it their own, and that's great. I mean, I love that they have the you know the resources to do all these excellent uh, shows. Disney World in particular has a lot of young, uh, what I would call entry level performers, singer, dancers, and people like that, who they employ you know for fairly long term stints, and they really get to learn their craft in that park doing various shows and things. And it's gotten to the point where they invested a lot in uh, having their own in-house recording studio and other things. So in a lot of cases, they're able to use those folks to record some of their shows. Mm -hmm. So now the only challenge is a lot of times the original versions for you know feature film and television and even Disneyland shows are done usually by professional session singers like myself. And so we're sort of the style template. And then they emulate it you know, as best they can and do versions of it in Disney World. So sometimes that works brilliantly well. In other cases, I kind of chuckle about it because it's like, nice try, kids. But you know what? <laughs> Keep practicing. Keep practicing. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, our standards are pretty high for what we look for. And, you know, in some cases, uh, the folks at Disney World, for instance, have been really kind. The music directing people have been kind enough to allow me when I wanted to go back, for instance, they comped my family into the park just knowing that I had sung on shows all over the park. And they were kind enough to say, come on, come and listen, see what, you know, what kinds of things you worked on. Don't you want to hear that? Oh, that's great. Oh, they're really kind. And th- then there's, there are shows that um, you know, end up um, in places like Tokyo Disneyland or Hong Kong Disneyland or Euro Disney. And sometimes they have to take different forms because it has a different, uh, obviously a different nationality of people that are primarily seeing the shows. And some things don't translate you know, as well universally uh, or to non-English speakers. So we'll do shows phonetically sung in Japanese for Tokyo Disneyland sometimes or sung phonetically in French for Euro Disney. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, it's really... And that's part of it. You know, I'm I'm a person who doesn't speak those languages, so that's where we really have to wear our mimic hats and just listen to native speakers who are our um, coaches on pronunciation. Mm -hmm. But really fun because, you know, you'll hear a version of some song you know totally well from the English language version, and you'll hear it in somebody else's language. Huh. So that's, that, that can be fun, fun, fun. Sure. Now, when you're doing that, where you're having to do the phonetic singing of, in a different language, do you mentally approach that the same way you would with English singing, where you're thinking, okay, I'm singing these words that mean this, or is it more just replicating the sounds? You know, it's a little bit of both. First of all, there's the just the sheer survival of feeling you're in the deep end and you're about to drown, you know, because uh, if if you don't speak a language and you're just trying to be, you know, a mimic, mm-hmm. uh, and you're singing at really high speed, tri- tricky, challenging stuff, at first, you're just trying to go, oh my goodness, we've got notes, we've got words, we've got all this stuff to balance and try and sound good and sound happy in this. So first of all, you're just struggling to get it to sound right with the right accent. And then then as you get better at that, then you start adding things like, Okay, now sound more cheerful. Now sound, you know, and and yes, it helps that you know what the lyric was in the original. So, and a lot of times they'll translate for us and say, what we're actually saying here literally is blah, 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 blah. And that helps us, you know, as 
voice actors and singers, even though we don't speak the language, we can still kind of put our interpretation to it. Oh, okay. Interesting. You know, so what's great about it is, you know, even though they have the option of hiring really good uh, singers and voice actors in other countries where those parks are located, a lot of times for the musical elements, they will still come back to us for those just because what the U.S. singers give them is, I think, so specialized and so wonderful that to duplicate that in other places takes them much more time and effort to get the same results. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't realize it, but for instance, LA session singers are, are you know, and this is not a pat myself on the back, but it's just a reality because we have a really deep talent pool and we do things that, you know, other places in the world, if you can get it done at all, it's much more difficult to get done. And they find that out every time that they try and dub you know, say, feature uh, Disney animated movies. You know, they take all the songs and dub them into other countries' languages. Mm-hmm. And when they try and do that with the songs, they realize, wow, it's hard to get a choir of people from Romania who sing as well as you Americans. Or it's hard to find a, a choir of, you know, fill in the blanks and who just can go in there and sight read it like you guys do. Right, yeah. So in a way, it, it's kind of job security. But also, it, it uh, you know, it's fun at times because we've sung in probably 15 different languages for shows, you know, and said, okay, I have no idea. I hope I'm not insulting somebody, but okay, here we right. go. <laughs> <laughs> you trust that your translator and coaches will, you know, say, okay, I think you said something like the goose is on the porch. <laughs> we don't normally say that in Indonesian. But <laughs> in fact, it's a profound insult. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you're when you're saying the goose is on the porch, that is really the throwing down the gauntlet. <laughs> in fact, I believe you may have just caused them to declare war on the United exactly. States. <laughs> so, you know, you always have to trust that somebody who's advising you will give you good advice about what you are singing and saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, did you ha- have you had to do anything like the oink oink thing when you've done those uh, foreign language singing sessions where they really scrutinize a section of your recording and like, no, we need it more like this, but with some of this and and adding in this part, or, or does it tend yeah. to be a little bit more straightforward? No, actually, and, and to their credit, the production teams that do most of the Tokyo Disneyland stuff are really good and very, very painstaking about it. Typically, the creative people, the the producers and directors of it, are Japanese, obviously, but then they hire um, Americans to come in and do things like write songs and arrange, and a lot of the voice talent ends up, you know, for singing stuff, they'll, they'll bring it over and do it here. In fact, a couple of the guys that do a lot of the recording for Disney Parks worldwide are guys who used to be in-house uh, music production people under Bruce Healy at Disneyland. And there are two guys named uh, Bob Wackerman and Paul Freeman. And they formed a company called Audio by the Bay Productions. And they now freelance their services to all these parks. Just because Disney decided it was easier to outsource that sort of specialty skill. And, you know, they still get hired for all these different Disney things. So they do that uh, amongst many other things they do. 
But, you know, we'll, we'll have a Japanese coach sit there while we sing through the Japanese, and we think we're doing it perfectly, of course. Of course. You know, and, and so we'll say a word, and they'll have us repeat it about a dozen times. We'll think we've nailed it, and then they keep saying, no, no, not okisho, 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 okisho. Okay, we go, oh, Kisho. And we, we think we've nailed it, and they're going, ha-ha, your American accents are so quaint. <laughs> but eventually you get it, you know, with, with luck and us trying our hardest and them being very forgiving, we eventually reach something where they say, okay, you sang it great, and you sound like charming Americans singing Japanese. And I think that for them is, a, is kind of a win. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they still, for anything that's really seriously character-driven where there have to be voice actors and things like that, they'll hire Japanese nationals. They won't even hire people really who are bilingual, who happen to be, say, Japanese-American and fluent in Japanese, but not with perfect Japanese accents. Hmm. They're that sensitive to it, having, oh, they don't sound like they're from, uh, you know, Osaka. Hmm, okay. So the bar is set quite high. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a little while ago, I was talking to Mark Hickson, who worked as an Imagineer. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that he worked on was the Visionarium film, uh, which was originally at Disneyland Paris and then was basically exported yes. to Tokyo Disneyland. And he talked about finding the voice talent. Where, you know, Gerard Depardieu is in the French version. Yes. And visibly, he's still in the Japanese version. Oh, yeah. But they found Japanese voice talent to match not only – they not only did they translate the lyric for the Japanese singer, but managed to do it in a way where it sounded like Gerard Depardieu <laughs> speaking or singing <laughs> whatever in Japanese yes. with even the lip movements matching. Wow. It was one of the most incredible things he'd ever seen when it comes to something like that. Absolutely. And you know what? I've seen that happen enough times. I am very impressed with the level of talent that they get on the Japanese side. And primarily, what I find is they are really amazing at emulating a thing. If you give them a performance and say, make it just like this, except in Japanese, it is truly awe-inspiring what they're able to do with it. But the nice part and what is job security for us is that the original performances and vibe and energy, they still come back to us to do. You know, So we, we get the best of both worlds even when we're exporting stuff into the parks. Wow, that's a great blending and kind of melding of, like you say, the best of both worlds. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and they, like I say, they do really amazing stuff where we will have done a voiceover in English, you know, and they'll listen to it and then we'll hear back what the Japanese version of that is. And they got every little nuance, you know, and, and turn of voice and phrase, except in Japanese. That's incredible. Yeah. I would have never guessed that. Oh, yeah. If you haven't heard it, it's remarkable. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I have not heard it, but I'm going to have to find a way to hear some of that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you have to talk to some of my, uh, you know, arranger and writer friends who write for those shows because you know they they get copies of everything they've worked on i wish i had some in some cases i have my memories of having worked on the things and then if i go and visit the parks i hear them but a lot of times i don't have recordings of a bunch of those type of shows that i've worked on just because you know they're not commercially available mm -hmm. 
Is there any that you have recordings of? Yeah, you know, uh, here's another thing that's wonderful about the Japanese. They've uh, even done, you know, these documentary kind of CDs of music, uh, not only for Tokyo Disneyland, but for things like Disneyland. So when they've done in-park CDs that are kind of collections of music that was in-park, I've been on several of those things. So there are a number of CDs available that were mostly for sale in the parks. Oh wow! You know that they yeah, or that you could probably buy online, but you wouldn't necessarily find it in a, a brick-and-mortar store. And it would say sure. something like "Your Disneyland Vacation," and it would have music from a bunch of shows that you might have seen. <laughs> so I've been on a lot of those, and that's been nice because it sort of documents things I remember doing and had fun doing. But that's the only proof, other than my check stub, that I was actually. <laughs> right. And you don't really want to show that around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> see, see, I really did sing on it after all. <laughs> Anyways. Nice. Now, I know you've also done some work for Disney on uh, film and TV, and even like I think you mentioned the Disney on Ice and that sure, kind of thing. Yeah, this thing. What kinds of things have you worked on for that? You mentioned a couple commercials, but beyond right, that... Right, yeah, but for those specials, it varies. A lot of times they'll have a version of something that may have been a big hit song you know, in the Disney family. A lot of times it'll be a spin-off from an animated musical. Those are so From the time that Little Mermaid and those, and those type projects began happening, there were steady streams of them. And then those end up being in all their parades and, and a lot of their uh, shows, which are television specials. So, you know, they'll have, you know, uh, Disney on ice and, and somebody will be skating while I sing a version of, um, you know, something like Under the Sea from Little Mermaid. Or uh, I just did a thing where I had to sing a, a sound alike of that and also do another thing for an upcoming in-park Disney show, what was it, the other thing that I had, oh, I know, they did a kind of a jungle book thing where I had to do, I want to be a man-man cub. Okay. So I had to be King Louie doing, I want to be a man-man cub, with a lot of scat singing and fun stuff, and those things will end up being something that, you know, some celebrity ice skater will skate around to. Oh, wow. So, you know, that, that can be great fun. Sure. Do you ever make it to the Disney on Ice shows or anything and get to see them skating to the things you've sung on? I see them when they're on television. I don't usually attend them in person cause just because I'm not a big ice skater buff. Uh-huh. But um, I've seen enough of them to kind of enjoy that. Or when I've watched them, uh, you know, and they'll, they'll have the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and, you know, something I've sung will appear on the Disney float. When it goes by, it'll be singing a, a medley of songs from an upcoming you know, they'll even use it as promotion for upcoming things as well as when they have uh, new shows going into their parks. You know, hey, come to our parks. We're doing, uh, you know, spin off of the Pixar Cars thing, you know, like they recently did in California Adventure. You know? mm-hmm. so, so those things happen relatively frequently. Disney's pretty good about reusing things as much as possible. And Hey, if they've gone to all the trouble to record them and have them sound great, I think, great, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what about film and TV things? Like, I was looking at your your list of credits, and a couple of my favorite things 
from Disney showed up on there. Uh, Enchanted, I saw that you had worked on. Oh, yeah. My wife's, one of her favorite movies is Hook, and that's on there. Um, my Probably my favorite Christmas movie is A Muppet Christmas Carol, and that's on there. Oh, yeah. I had some really fun times singing on some of those. Hook was especially interesting because it was a live-action movie, and really there were two different kinds of singing to be done. One was uh, a kind of anonymous choir that John Williams wrote. You know, it was a John Williams-scored movie. A lot of people forget that Mm -hmm. because he does such epic, sweeping things. But in this case, he was doing kind of a fun mock uh, sweeping thing. And so we were a choir of classical orchestral singers for that. But then they also had sessions where we were a bunch of wacky pirate characters and did singing and music as that. And that was more, uh, like I say, character-driven and funny. And so what was great about that was I got to be in, in both worlds. Normally the two worlds don't meet. You know, you do one thing or the other. But in that, in that case, mm-hmm. I was able to point to certain cues and go, ha ha, that's me. I'm that little pirate over in the corner there singing. And then I'd hear these big oohs and ahs and wonderful John Williams chords and say, hey, I recognize that. Wow. <laughs> so, so that was a fun one for Hook. In Enchanted, I sang on that one big song that was sort of like the musical number where, remember, they're wandering through Central Park. Mm-hmm. How do you know? Exactly. How do you know? And then you see all these people popping up that are supposedly singing. Well, of course, none of those people actually sang. It was all done with us in post-production. We actually did that as a pre-record. And then when they did the big shoot of it, all those people had to learn to lip sync to what we did. <laughs> so they would tell us, okay, you're a bunch of old people lawn bowling right now. And so we'd have to sing, how do you know? And okay, now you have to be a bunch of Bollywood kind of of people from India. You know, how do you know? You know so <laughs> we, we, we really had a fun time with that. The whole thing was very, you know, very much a modern day fairy tale retelling mm-hmm. and so it was fun because it was live action and yet it was very much kind of you know very disney-esque oh definitely yeah with a little bit of a kind of turning it on its head well, yes. it's almost a precursor to some of the things like even once upon a time things where it takes the traditional stories and characters or even just the traditional yeah. plot devices and kind of tweaks yep. them exactly i thought that was kind of a nice touch and and it was a you know it was a gentle and winking kind of turn it on its head not you know not angry and it didn't go all you know uh, Avenue Q or something like that you know where you're going okay now we're into R rated right right this one was more of a friendly you know family friendly kind of what happens if somebody tumbles out of that world and has to you know, they hit our kind of ugly reality what do they do with that mm-hmm. So I thought it was a fun one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what did you sing on or do for Muppet Christmas Carol? I think I ended up singing, again, some piratey stuff. <laughs> you know? I, I don't know. There's some typecasting going on here. I guess. Maybe it's because my name begins with R. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, Sorry, okay. Randy. That we, we'll just have to enjoy that joke between the two of us. No one <laughs> else will ever hear it. That's right. R. But, but I love the Muppets for a long time and so when Henson and Disney kind of joined their you know these 
two wonderful franchises kind of merged. Um, it's kind of neat to see what they're doing with them now. And I, I love I love that the Muppet franchise has been re-revived. You know, they had that feature film last year. Mm-hmm. And then working on the next one, actually. Yeah, exactly. I'm hope, hopeful, you know, cross my fingers. I'd, I'd love to be able to work on those things just because they're so fun and so character-driven. And really, the puppeteers who do those, they provide all their own voices. Mm-hmm. They're brilliant. And so I, my hope is that I get to come alongside them and, do stuff like that. That would be fantastic. I did a, a project years ago called the Muppets Beach Party, <laughs> and it at the time was was kind of a, a video project, but also a, accompanying CD where the Muppets were doing all Beach Boys and other beach-related movies. Uh, I mean songs, and uh, and so our our task was to to kind of be their group, their their singing group. While they did the lead vocals, we would do all the background vocals around them and make them sound really like the Beach Boys. And it was so fun. Not only do I remember that CD, it was the first CD that I ever bought, and then I ah! the CD player so I could play that CD. Oh, that's hilarious! What a small world. Uh huh. Well, we sure had a good time with it. And the most hilarious thing ever, Randy, is to watch the Muppet, uh, you know, puppeteers singing. Because guess what? They they bring their puppets along and they work the puppets while they sing. It's like they're connected surgically. And <laughs> for them to really get into the character, it's almost like a method actor. They have to have that puppet, you know, on their hand and they're working it to see how the puppet would move and it's hilarious, it's, mm-hmm. you know. But they were—they're such amazingly talented. Most of them do a, multiple characters. I just sat, and this was in the you know days where it was, you know, Frank Oz and and all of the original cast. I mean, you know, so talented. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So much, much fun. <laughs> Definitely. How about TV stuff? I know you've done some stuff in the past, and you're doing some current stuff too, aren't you? Yeah, I just uh, we finished working uh, recently on some fun things for that new uh, Disney Junior Channel uh, series called Sophia the First. That's a great show. Oh yeah, isn't that terrific? The youngest Disney heroine ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the lovely little Sophia. And uh, we worked early on doing some music uh, by the very talented John Cavanaugh, who wrote a lot of the music, you know, for this series. The CD just got released in the last couple of weeks um, with music from the series. I'm happy to announce. And I noticed there's three or four songs in there where um, I worked along with my little six-voice ensemble called The Cleanup Crew. And I can tell you more about that and another time, but but it's a fun kind of character singing voiceover ensemble. And we went in and did some some singing as townspeople, and you know, and and Sophia's uh, staff. You know, <laughs> we were the singing voices of of those guys, and ha- and even singing trolls at one point. We love that. Wow, is that very different from being a singing pirate? I think trolls and pirates are diametrically opposed. You know, <laughs> trolls are kind of grouchy. They kind of have that Eeyore attitude at all times. And they always sing down here. You know, blah, 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 blah. And pirates are like this. Pirates are more optimistic. (laughs) They're always hoping to get some pirate booty. (laughs) That's true. That is sort of the whole reason they're out doing stuff. Yeah. See, if they didn't have boundless optimism, they just wouldn't be a pirate. 
because their odds are very bad. <laughs> That's true. That's my theory. I know this is like psychoanalyzing, you know, different kinds of pirates and, you know, different characters. <laughs> I like it. I never thought of it that way before. The fact that we're seriously talking about this makes me wonder at my own psychological state. <laughs> and mine as well. <laughs> there you go. But we sit and think about these things, don't we? We do, absolutely. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be fans of Disney if we didn't think about all the wonderful characters and why they are like they are. Mm-hmm. See? <laughs> So that Sophia the First is a fun one, and it's a much younger demographic than a lot of you know the Disney projects. I've done shows previously on the Disney Channel live action things, you know, like the Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, and some of those very youth-related shows, mm-hmm. and that's fun. But this one takes the cake for being the one that's, you know, it's preschool. That's the really the designated audience for most of this. Right. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I remember back in episodes eight and nine, I think it was, of this podcast, I had Laura Dickinson on. Oh, yeah, And she talked about Sophia the First and how incredibly proud she was to be a part of that project. Yeah, Laura did some great character singing stuff on some of the songs before. I've heard her work. She did terrifically. She's uh, another person who's been active in, in other you know, Disney TV kind of things. We've both worked on Phineas and Ferb, for instance. She's done terrific singing on a number of different things. So I'm a big admirer, mutual admirer of Laura. With good reason. Is there anything that, any particular songs or anything that you did for Phineas and Ferb that we might recognize? You would recognize uh, the, the biggest, highest profile one, I'm proud to say, is the Barry uh, uh, the Platypus. Sniffles and sneezes and red runny noses Holes in your stockings and prickles on roses Hailstorms in summer and snowstorms in spring These are a few of my grouchiest things Books without pictures and knotted shoelaces Kittens and puppies that slobber clean faces A muddy old sandbox and rusty old swings These are a few of my grouchiest things But when the sun shines and the birds sing Boy, that makes me mad So I simply remember my grouchiest things And then I don't feel so That sits in the sun till it's smelly Watching a spider crawl onto your belly Falling down boom with a hole in your pants Or finding your picnic is covered with ants Spinach and broccoli and barbecued liver Big hairy monsters that make your heart quiver Swarming mosquitoes and bumblebee stings These are a few of my grouchiest things When people hug you and they kiss you Boy, that makes me mad So I simply remember my grouchiest things And then I don't feel so
waves hitting sandcastles, making them mushy. Watching a snowman melt down till it's slushy. Jars that won't open and bells that won't ring. These are a few of my grouchiest things. Stuck in your house on a day when it's pouring. Kites that get caught in a tree while they're soaring. When hammers hit fingers instead of the nail. And presents don't come cause they're lost in the mail. Don't you love it? But when the sun shines and the birds sing, boy, that makes me mad. So I simply remember my grouchiest things and then I don't feel so Hello, Randy's uh, audience. Yeah, hey, people Hello. that listen to uh, Stories from the Magic. Hi, <laughs> people. You're probably wondering who we are. You're probably wondering where Randy is. Well, I have Randy. Or where he went if he introduced He's in this. my car. Yeah. He's That's weird. <laughs> That's so, why are, why are people hearing our voices instead of his? Well, so here's the deal. We, we were introduced to Randy through our show. Yeah, we do a Disneyland podcast, too. We sure do. And, uh, and you probably shouldn't listen to that one. No, Randy's it's not nearly as better. accurate or as informative of, of stories of, of the magic, especially since uh, Randy has Imagineers on his show and we don't. What? Oh, yeah. Gosh, I want to be on Randy's show. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't think you're... I'm on Randy's show. Oh, wait. Yeah, there you are. I am an Imagineer. Guess, I guess so. So, so why anyways, are we here? Um... So we'll make this as quick as we can. Yeah, let's Basically, do it. Basically, we have uh, on our show, Dole Ups and Dark Rides, we are doing this thing outside of our show. Um, it's a documentary film. It's a feature-length documentary film that we are making. And it has ties to Disneyland, but it also has ties to some heavy kind of topics. And yeah. we'll, we'll kind of go over that with you a little bit here. Um, but you can find out. I, I'll, I'm going to throw out the website now okay. so people don't have to. You can find out more information about any of this on our, the website uh, earsforisaac.com Ears which for Isaac, right now yep. we'll redirect you to an Indiegogo page but but there's tons there's of content there. there's, there's going to be at least two videos there by the time this goes out yeah, and there's a bunch of paragraphs info. on what's going on yeah so yeah so anyway we'll, what we'll, is Ears for Isaac so yeah that's the thing oh that's what I was going to say I think you should tell them first okay. about the significance of the ears so like Jason family. said I'm just going to go really quickly again there's a lot of a lot of information on this and more coming and we just really first just want to thank Randy for allowing us to Randy, come on his show amazing. and and just and just raise awareness Randy's for the a, a Dapper dresser, yeah. too. I'm sure of it. I've never seen um, him. I can tell in a I have. I think he's like a runner, so I'm not really sure. See, I, th- I think he's he like a marathon like runner. Stuff. Yeah. So Ears for Isaac is a story about my son. And Jason and I do a Disneyland podcast. And last year in March, we got I got a, a, a diagnosis. Um, well, Teresa and I, my wife, got a diagnosis about our son at 20 weeks that uh, he had some very complex, many lethal um, birth defects. And this is something we told our audience on Dolps and Dark Rides, and they kind of went through us a little bit. We, we updated oh, yeah. them. We planned on stopping the show when, when, when news uh, with Isaac and when that looked like it was going to be just a really difficult thing for us to move through. Um, but then we would check back in with Dolps and Dark Rides and uh, do that. So without going into the whole story, because that's what the movie the movie's about, um, Ears for Isaac is a documentary film, which, which kind of for me and my wife serves two purposes. One, it, it tells our story of our, our son and what that process was like getting his diagnosis and trying to figure out what, what we're supposed to do, how that looks, what life looks like now that we have um, this, this medical, this enormous medical thing um, 
going on. It, it follows the f- the four months after we kind of decided that we wanted him to go into hospice and to try to bring him home from the hospital yeah. and live with us. It follows the the four months that uh, that we spent kind of just carrying him and and trying to make him a part of our family, not expecting him to live when he was born for more than a few seconds. So uh, and then, it, which is just really crazy about how that all worked out. And then it follows the the four months that he was actually um, alive, and he he was born uh, on July twenty fifth, and he got to come home the next day, and then he passed away on November fifteenth of of two thousand twelve. Um, so we are living in the days kind of after him, and 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 so the film for me serves two purposes: one is to help our family kind of remember those those things, and to serve as an encouragement to other people that are that will have to or do or are currently walking that road. Um, and two, it, it's just kind of a chronicling, I think, of of I guess those are both the same thing of his story and stuff. And so how yeah. Disneyland plays into that just really quickly is that, you know, all families kind of have these things they do, these traditions, these rites of passages, these activities that kind of bond them together well, as a family, I think. Weird. And some of them are weird. And for, for Jason, I'm probably a lot of you. It's uh, that Disneyland is a big part of your family. And it's not so much Disneyland, but what it represents and the memories you have spending there. Uh, and one of the things that we do uh, with our family is we get mouse ears hats for our kids just as soon as we possibly can. And it's, it's less about the novelty of the hat in Disneyland and more about the idea of that we, we kind of thought and labored and, 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 and picked a name for you and we love you and we want you to be a part of our family. And the way we symbolize that in our family is we get you some mouse ears uh, down at Disneyland to just say, hey, you're you're, we love you. We want you to be a part of our family, and we gave you a name, and 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 you're in. You're you're one of you're a Robin's person, or whatever that is. Robin's person. <laughs> so we weren't able to do that with Isaac because of his is the just the amount of of he medical. Tried. We we thought about it. Yeah. We we thought about it. We did little day trips. We tested out little trips here and there. We talked to doctors about elevation and traveling, and we we did everything we could that was reasonable to say is this even a good idea and it, right, they were kind of like right. yeah you can but we're not so sure and so we just decided no we're, we, we just yeah, can't do it we just yeah. can't do it can't risk it um, and we really had said goodbye to Disneyland forever at that point in time we thought we weren't sure how long he was going to live we weren't sure after he passed away like that we'd ever be able to revisit Disneyland again um, and so this movie chronicles that the, the diagnosis the sort of the, the caring of Isaac the delivery and so our journey to go down to Disneyland and get him uh, mouse ears just as a symbol for our family of, of really just welcoming him welcoming him in as, as a full part of our family and just an expression of our love for him and and we would hope that that would help sort of I guess encourage well that's the thing because it sounds like way heavy yeah I know I'm like, sorry oh, it does. well no I mean it's it is though I mean yeah. it is a, it's a heavy topic but the thing with the movie that we're trying to push out and we really believe will come out of this movie is like hope and yeah, encouragement, totally encouragement. peace which and is so really weird, awful everyone times. I've talked to that has heard Aaron tell like the whole story. Yeah. Which is lengthy because there's it, so it much, is. I mean, there's so much in there. It's almost, yeah, it's almost a year at this point it, of a story. Yeah, it's true. And, but the thing is, everybody leaves hearing that story feeling it, which sounds so weird and count, yeah. contradictory. Yeah. Whatever that word is, but because you do feel like this sense of hope, yeah. and this this weird sense of like encouragement. Which I hope you so. Don't think so. But so we'll leave it this. We'll, we'll let Randy get back to the show. We really do appreciate him, Len. But uh, it's earsforisaac.com. Right now, it is going to an Indiegogo campaign because we're just trying to raise a tiny bit of money. I think a little bit of money just help film oh, yeah, and, yeah, and travel down to Disneyland, and and we have some some special people working with us oh, uh, on the film that we would love to to compensate for their creative right. stuff. But uh, head to earsforisaac.com and uh, just know that we are a fellow Disneyland the movie out. Too. Yeah, so and just yeah, really just remember remember us. Remember the little bit of the story. Remember that that uh if, if you have to walk this road or you know somebody that has that uh you're not alone and uh my friend good friend jason and fellow disneyland podcasters helping my family tell a story that absolutely changed everything about the way we live our life so thanks thanks aaron and jason 
I've got a link to Ears for Isaac in the show notes. And of course, people can just go to earsforisaac.com. I'm donating some myself, but I can't do as much as I'd like to financially, so I am more than happy to help you get the word out here on Stories of the Magic. Listeners, please help them out too, either through a donation, by spreading the word, or both. Now, that brings us to the end of this week's show. A very special thank you to Randy Crenshaw for being my guest, and to you for listening. If you've worked for the Walt Disney Company in any capacity and would like to share a positive story, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY anytime 24 hours a day. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, let me know. If you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic or had any special Disney experience you want to share, even listening to or watching one of the projects that Randy's been involved in that you want to mention. I'd love to hear from you, too. Email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY, and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, on Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. Those ratings help make the podcast more visible there, so it's easier for people to find. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, please visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too. Please like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic. Finally, this episode has been brought to you by Leaving Conformity Coaching. If you're looking for more joy, passion, and purpose in your life, let me help you break free of your limiting, performance-based natural identity and embrace your supernatural kingdom identity. To find out more about how I can help you, access some free resources, and read my blog, Faith and the Magic Kingdom, visit leavingconformitycoaching.com stories. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories, and this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.